1110-993-WBT. WBT. It's Tuesday. It's 2 o'clock, and that means it's uh, time to talk with... There's a lot of T's in this. Tim Moore, the Speaker of the House. Uh, there's a lot of alliterative uh, uh, marketing possibilities here. You're aware of this, Mr. Speaker, right? Hey, good to be with you, Pete. <laughs> Absolutely. I was in... I was in Cleveland County just this past weekend again, and uh, breathing the the freedom air there, as you mentioned. And uh, I and I, I think it, I started making a stop at the Ingles over there. Um, I do love Ingles. Yellow. Hello. Oh yes, are I you lost there? You, lost you there. I don't oh. know what happened. Go ahead. You said you stopped somewhere. Oh, at, at the Ingles supermarket. I, I enjoy going. It's a little bit of the Asheville. Uh, uh, Ingles that I just I, I I always appreciate going to Ingles, so that's where I stop <laughs> on the way up to the. Hey, it's a it's a great spot. And yeah. listen, anywhere you stop in Cleveland County is always a great stop. You get to you say get to breathe that air of freedom. It's a great place. <laughs> that's right. So let's talk about um, the governor's veto of this bill. And I just so the first thing is let's go over just kind of what the bill did and why it came about. Right, this was the bill to ban collusive. Uh, settlements. Uh, and so what was the purpose behind the legislation? So this goes back to the lawsuit that was filed, if you want to get it, the best example. Last year, uh, Mark Elias, who many of your listeners will know that name, that represented the Hillary Clinton and represented a lot of these uh, leftist organizations that were going around the country suing states, basically trying to get rid of all of the elections integrity provisions that were in those states' laws. And so his uh, his organization sued uh, the State Board of Elections, of course, controlled by a Democratic governor, uh, and then represented by a Democratic attorney general. Well, guess what happened? So they, there's a lawsuit against the, against the State Board of Elections, the governor, and then myself as the pre- uh, Speaker of the House, Senator Berger, as the president of the Senate. Well, uh, the, the Democrat plaintiffs uh, miraculously reached a settlement with the Democrat governor and the Democratic AG, and they just decided to go ahead and do a settlement and not even bother consulting with myself or Senator Berger, who were actually parties to the lawsuit. Um, and so we, we protested and said, you can't do this. Uh, they went through and, and did it anyway. And so as a result, we did a couple things. One, we filed a suit in federal court. Uh, that ended up stopping this this mess dead in its tracks. But two, we said, you know, this should never happen anytime. And and you know what? It's a matter of fairness, Pete. It, it just imagine if you if if you and two other people are sued, and the other two folks reach a settlement to say, yeah, Pete's the guy who's going to pay the tab. I mean, that's not allowed anywhere at all. And and that's basically what the what they tried to do this last time. And what they were doing was they were trying to throw out. Uh, our our voter integrity provisions. And you know what? Had we let them get away with it and not file suit in federal court, we could very easily have been like Georgia or been like Pennsylvania, some of these other states that went along with getting rid of those uh, provisions, you know, things like anonymous uh, uh, drop boxes and all this kind of silliness. So we said, you know what? Let's be clear going forward. You can't do that. But But it's actually, it was a fair provision the way we did it. Not only could you know, the governor and the AG go to agree to something that the Senate and the House didn't agree with. The Senate and the House couldn't go agree to something that the governor opposed to. So it was simply fair. But so it really surprised us when the governor vetoed this. I mean, this is a, a, a blow for fairness as much as I can think of. So, Were you really surprised? Uh, like, really surprised, though? I mean, I was and I wasn't. Right. I, you know, <laughs> it, you, you, yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, it's about basic fairness. If you ask most people, like the example I told you, where yeah. if three people are sued, can the other two agree with the plaintiffs and just say, yeah, tag it on, on one? You should never be able to do that. In fact, our rules that govern lawyers say you can't do that. But somehow they tried to get away with this. Just, it's just unbelievable. Well, I was going to ask you about that because as uh, as we uh, went over last week, that you are, in fact, a lawyer. And so like, is this common like i would think this would be an an unethical thing to do if you did this in like your private practice you you can't i mean if you were to try to do that pull this kind of stunt as a private attorney uh you would probably say bye-bye to your law license pretty quickly and uh it just is it's it's not appropriate at all yeah which i guess is and it's kind of related also like to the leandro judge uh from union county who is now saying you guys aren't even a party to the lawsuit but you're still going to have to pay. You're going to have to do what the Democrat governor wants to do, even though you're not even a defendant in the case. It's like the, there's yeah, like the so, other side of it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, and, and let's be very clear. Uh, and we've made this known and, and every at every level. Uh, it is entirely the authority of the legislature when it comes to issues of taxing and spending, of course, subject to the right of the governor to veto. Uh, the courts just do not have a role constitutionally in getting involved, and it and if, and if this press and so and so we're going to fund education at the amounts that we believe are appropriate. And while I certainly think the Leandro case, you know, highlights some issues that frankly we know are out there and that mm-hmm. we're already addressing, by the way, um, and, and certainly going to you know, look at what those things are. But we're going to make a decision on on these funding items based on what we think is best for the students of the state. Um, but but the fact that, that some on the left want to try to push this narrative where courts could start going down the road and dictating funding, look, if that's what happens next, you're going to have courts raising your taxes. Uh, and, I mean, and that's what that's what the left's getting at. It's basically taking authority away from the individuals through duly elected representatives and putting it in the hands of just a few folks. And it is a very, very dangerous precedent and a very dangerous path that they want to try to take this state down. So uh, I noticed in the coverage here, like the AP doesn't identify the judge uh, in the uh, the election lawsuit that uh, allowed that settlement to occur. That judge was a, was a Democrat. The the judge in the Leandro case is also a Democrat, um, although I think he was identified as a Republican in one of the news articles from uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, but he's not. But I it it just it it strikes me that. Virtually all of these types of stories, these issues, there's an assumed truthful narrative that just kind of becomes uh, the premise upon which all of the stories are built, right? The narratives are constructed, and it's always the Democrats' position is sort of the assumed correct position. And And I just wonder, like, how do you, as the Republican leader in the House, how do you combat that sort of narrative building that occurs in real time? Well, it's, it's, it's a challenge because uh, notwithstanding yourself and a number of uh, media outlets, uh, we really don't get much, uh, as conservatives, get much uh, fair coverage in the media. And, and, and it, I mean, we see this, you just, just pick the issue, you name it, and, and it's a constant thing. And uh, it really poses a challenge. So, of course, getting our message out there, talking about it, and, of course, being on your show is a great thing as well. And you do a great job covering these issues that, frankly, are getting glossed over and, 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 and also even misreported by, by some in the media. But the reality is that uh, the notion, and every person should be very concerned 
when you have when you have a philosophy like the left is pushing, where you're basically giving more power, more authority to judges, uh, and at least at the state level, our judges are elected. Of course, federal judges aren't elected. But but think about it this way: um, if if you want to if you want to bill passed, if you want things funded, if you want to take up various issues, you know, as legislators, we're pretty easy to get to. You can get to and talk to your house member, your senator from your community. Uh, you really can't get with the, get to the governor that easily. And with judges, not only is it difficult to get to them, they're not supposed to talk to folks about <laughs> cases they're hearing. Right. So they are supposed to be, and that's why they're not supposed to be delving into political questions. But you have the left basically wanting to take these judges into deciding political questions uh, by folks who aren't, you know, you, you don't, you don't, let me say this. I don't want my judges as politicians. I want judges who are fairly applying the law. If somebody's in front of a judge on a child custody case, you know, let the kid live with the best parent. It shouldn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat or whatever else. And, and, and that's what we expect. And unfortunately, the left is doing great damage to our judiciary, to the jurisprudence of this state by pushing these, these crazy ideas that they know won't pass and don't have the support in many cases of the voters of this state. I mean, look at the voter ID we talked about the other week. The people of the state went to the polls, Pete, and voted overwhelmingly to create voter ID, amended the Constitution. Yet you have a court that says it's unconstitutional. It's part of the Constitution. That's how ludicrous uh, some of the activists are on the left on things. And and the voters should be outraged by it. And you know what? We're gonna we're doing all we can to fix it. We're gonna keep fighting all the way up. And and in the end, because the voters elect all of us, I know in the end uh, the right thing's going to happen. Speaker of the House, North Carolina, Tim Moore from Cleveland County. Thanks so much, sir. We always appreciate it. Talk with you next week. Great to be on with you, Pete. Take care. All right. Take care. You, uh, you too, sir. And uh, let me go on over to Boomer Von Cannon. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. So I'll go into some of the details uh, on this, uh, on the lawsuit that was filed, but also on the collusive uh, agreement that was entered into uh, that prompted this legislation, this uh, Senate Bill 360, I believe is what it was, that the governor has now vetoed. So, and and just, and I mentioned with the uh, Speaker of the House there, the the assumed narrative that always works as sort of the foundation, the building blocks for the stories and the reporting. And this is what is a really good example of it, which is like, here's the AP headline. Cooper, the governor, Cooper vetoes GOP bill that sought to weaken AG's powers. I know it's a really sexy headline. Mm, Got to read that story. I, don't, don't you think, I don't know, because if you, had approached it from the the other perspective, you could have used something that like the speaker said, which was governor Cooper uh, doesn't want there to be fair settlements, right? Like governor Cooper seeks to block lawmakers from having their day in court. Um, You know, governor Cooper seeks to protect a tactic that would, 
get lawyers disbarred, right? I mean, there were all sorts of other ways that you could have formed that headline, but that would be forming the headline from the right and not from the left because you have you have two competing positions, right? And the two competing positions just happen to be political uh, party, you know, they're aligned. And so why would you automatically adopt the Democrats' line of argument unless you believe that this conveys a more truthful accounting of the story? And I would submit it does not. It does not. Because as the, and by the way, that's why I asked the speaker about that. Like, can lawyers do this? No, lawyers can't do that. If you've got three people in a party, two are defendants, and one's the plaintiff suing the two defendants, the plaintiff doesn't get to go and make a settlement with one of the defendants that then binds that other defendant. That's not part of the deal. You don't get to do that. So, what, like, I'm getting sued. And Ryan, we're both defendants. And the person suing producer Ryan and me happens to be Ryan's roommate. And Ryan's roommate enters into a settlement deal with Ryan that says, I have to pay Ryan's roommate. Does that sound like a fair deal? Don't answer that, Ryan. Does that <laughs> Does that sound like a fair deal for me? No, of course not. You don't get to cut one of the defendants out of the settlement agreement. And that's exactly what these uh, lawsuits did. The litigants did Mark Elias, you know, who, by the way, his partner was Michael Sussman, the, uh, the guy who just got indicted for the false statements to the FBI about the, uh, the alpha bank story and the Russia gate and the collusion. All yeah, yeah, that's Mark Elias's, partner former partner at perkins Coie law firm worked for hillary clinton and the speaker was correct he mark elias works also for uh eric holder and the redistricting project that they've been focusing on suing all the republican states that are drawing maps or so this just came down the wires today oregon state of oregon 40 percent of the uh, votes i believe it was 40 percent went for republicans in the last election and they only have a, the Republic, Republican voters only have 16 percent representation in Oregon. That's how the Democrats gerrymandered Oregon. Is Mark Elias and the redistricting group run by Eric Holder, Obama's former AG, are, are they suing Oregon over their gerrymandering? No, of course not. They're not suing any Democratic states over their redistricting lines. It's only Republican swing states that they're doing it in. Now ask yourself why. Is it a principled stand they're making? Or is it partisan advantage that they seek? Oh, also, Mark Elias represented Roy Cooper. Roy Cooper in his uh, recount battle with Pat McCrory in 2016. Yeah, so it's his lawyer. That's who is part of the the settlement uh, agreement. North Carolina Democratic Governor Roy Cooper vetoed a measure Monday that would have limited the powers of the person in his former position, Attorney General, to enter into future legal settlements. Okay, that is an accurate statement by Gary Robertson at the Associated Press. That is an accurate statement. The thing you always need to keep in mind about print journalism is the inverted triangle. 
the most important information is at the top of the story. And the uh, farther down the story you go, the less uh, important information you find, right? And if you go down too far in a story and you find some really important piece of information, that's what's called burying the lead, right? We're like, oh, this is the most important piece. Why is it way down here? Right? The lead is the first sentence. And so it kind of works like a funnel, right? The most important piece, most amount of information is all at the top of the article. The, the longer you read the article, this is for newspapers, magazines are different, but the longer you read, right, the, the less new and important information you're going to encounter. And then if you're in broadcast, usually you can just go to the very end of the story, take whatever that last sentence is about, like, the city council plans a hearing on this at five. And that's for broadcasters. They'll take that line, and that's the way you advance the story, is you say, tonight there's a public hearing because you're future-looking. Anyway, so this is like this is what they teach you like at uh, the, the broadcast uh, school. So, um, or at least I did it. Winthrop, this is one of, the, uh, one of the lessons. I should charge money for these lessons. I mean, I kind of feel like I'm plagiarizing, but, but not really. Anyway, um, so this is the first statement, the first lead statement. North Carolina Democratic Governor Roy Cooper vetoed a measure Monday that would have limited the powers of the person in his former position, Attorney General, to enter into future legal settlements. Like, that's a mouthful. And I understand they write for the eye, not the ear. They go on to say the legislation was passed by Republicans furious with Cooper's successor over his handling of a 2020 elections lawsuit. It's it's not clear. It's just this is not clearly explained. And part of the problem here I would submit is because you're trying to back into the story using the Democrats position as the building blocks of the, of that story. Because if you had gone at it from the other direction, which is that the attorney general should not be able to settle a lawsuit without his defendants being party to the settlement talks. That's a lot clearer. It, it, it communicates exactly what is going on, but it also comes at it from the Republican viewpoint. And I, I can say that without espousing their viewpoint, although I do agree with their viewpoint on this. I don't think that it's correct, ethical or fair to cut a deal with the plaintiffs. And in this case, it was the attorney general, Josh Stein, cutting this deal with the Board of Elections, Governor Cooper's appointees, with a lawyer who was representing an organization that was the AFL-CIO retiree group who, by the way, had Josh Stein as their keynote speaker at their previous year's convention. That's who cut the deal. And and then they went before a Democratic judge who who okayed the deal and never told the Republican defendants that the deal was getting cut. Oh, and by the way, the deal changed state law regarding an election that was already underway. So, yeah, there were a lot of problems with this. And by the way, this has also been occurring in courtrooms all across the country. It happened with the elections in 2020, which is why when people argue that it was rigged and, oh, the, you know, that the election was corrupt, this is actually where this stuff happened. And I maintain to this day that those lawsuits were done not only to make it easier for, you know, everybody to vote with as minimal obstacles as possible, which also makes it easier to commit fraud, but Mainly it was done to set precedent and 
to prep the, the, the field, if you will, to till the soil for the litigation to come afterwards. The kind of litigation that we saw in the, the state Supreme Court chief justice race, where they were fighting over the recounts and what ballots to count and postmarks on ballots and all of this. And you had people in, the, in both camps, Newby and Beasley, and they were arguing, toss those ballots, count these ballots. See, so when you can, when you can file the litigation on the front end, and then you wait till after the election, then you're like, aha, see, we tried to change the law so this very thing wouldn't happen right now. Like, that's the, that gives you more standing on the back end. You're trying to till the field. You're trying to, or plant the seeds, or whatever you want to say. Like, uh, insert your farming analogy there. The measure was approved along party lines, this uh, ban on what they, what the Republicans called collusive settlements, where two of the parties, the plaintiff and defendant, are acting in concert to the detriment of one of the other defendants. And so they said, you can't do that. And I ha- it's a very short bill. I, I, I have it right here in front of me. And it says, where a dispute, claim, or controversy is challenging a North Carolina statute or provision of the North Carolina Constitution, and the Speaker of the House, the President Pro Tem of the Senate, they have intervened on behalf of the General Assembly. So right there, you got two requirements, right? That there has to be some sort of a challenge of a law and that the legislative leaders are named as defendants, right, in their official capacities, then you cannot settle that challenge without the named defendants being party to the settlement. This makes, of course, complete logical sense. Of course it does. But Governor Governor Vito, yeah, Fortean slipped there. Governor Cooper vetoed it, and he said, this bill is unconstitutional and unwise and would prevent the Attorney General from doing his job to protect the people of North Carolina. It's actually not true. It doesn't prevent the Attorney General from doing his job to protect the people of North Carolina. Unless, of course, you're arguing that that means sometimes changing the law on his own. Because that doesn't seem like that would be protecting the people, because then that means the Attorney General, via lawsuits and settlements, can just write law. That doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like protecting the people. Um, I also don't believe it's unconstitutional. Senator Paul Newton, uh, he said the latest veto to join the long list of vetoes, I think um, AP Dillon at the North State Journal, I think she's got the tally somewhere up at like 64 vetoes now. Roy Cooper has issued more vetoes than all governors throughout history combined in North Carolina. It's true. He's issued more. Now, sorry, hang on a second. When I say that, I don't want to run afoul of the fact checkers over at McClatchy uh, or at Capital Broadcast Company. So let me be clear. The power to veto has only been around for about 40 years. So it's not as if it's like the whole history of the state because the governor hasn't had the veto power, but for about four decades. But what I said is still true. Even though the McClatchy people and the Capital Broadcasting people would label it as missing context. Oh my. Well, there's a there's a game of who done it on the Twitter machine. Hashtag NC Paul. That's where all the action is for North Carolina politics. If you're on Twitter, that's where you go. NCPOL. Here it is. Stephen Wiley says, uh, Let's play Who Am I? 
I am an elected official that likes to claim the moral high ground at all times. I am now using an account without my name on it to repeatedly tweet a mugshot of a private citizen because I disagree with them politically. <laughs> Who could it be? I don't know. I just throw it out there. If I find out, I'll let you know. All right, so I went over the AP, the Associated Press's uh, coverage of this story about the collusive settlement deal. And by the way, this was expected uh, that the governor would veto it. Uh, he's a partisan, and so uh, he vetoed it. And, of course, the Democrats in the legislature, uh, whereas in the past they would seek to preserve and protect legislative power uh, because they are of the legislature, uh, they also right now recognize that all of their juice is tied to Governor Cooper's juice, and so they can't um, they can't cross him. So the only way they have any kind of control or power is if he can veto something, and so they got to stick with him. So it's actually very beneficial for him because it means that his uh, status as a lame duck is going to be pretty short. Um, but here's the McClatchy version of this story uh, headline: NC Governor blocks GOP attempt to transfer powers from executive branch to legislatures. <laughs> this, is, this is just this is just ridiculous. This is just a silly headline. And it's a silly write-up. The first sentence here, Democratic Governor Roy Cooper vetoed Monday the Republican-controlled state legislature's attempt, uh, latest attempt, to transfer executive branch powers, this time the attorney general's, to itself. And they didn't actually do that. That is not what the bill says, which is weird because the reporter here, Lucille Sherman, she covers the legislature. And I would think that she would know that this is not what the bill did. I just read to you what the bill did. If you have two parties that are listed as defendants and one of those parties is the legislature, they get to agree to any settlement deal that they're a participant in the litigation. Right? That they're not usurping anyone's power. They're they're putting themselves on equal footing. They're saying if you're going to sue us and the board of elections, then a settlement deal has to be agreed to by both of the defendants, us and them, because you wouldn't like it if we cut a deal, right? What if the what if Jim O'Neill had won the uh, race for attorney general in 2020? And what if he cut a deal with the legislature? And it forced the Board of Elections to do what the GOP wanted done. Now, also, I feel the need to point this out. You got to remember Governor Roy Cooper sued to keep control of the boards of election in this state. The Republicans in the legislature set up a different system so that the boards of elections would be uh, balanced, not partisan majorities. And they would be appointed by different, uh, the, like the legislature would get appointments and the uh, the uh, I think the Board of Elections would get some appointments and the governor would get some. And there, there would just be these different, it was a different mechanism to create the boards, state level and all the local level. And Cooper sued and won. He sued and won. And he sued in order to keep control of the boards of election. Is that just protecting governor's powers? That's what the point of that was? Oh, no, he's like, oh, I'm really about the power of the governor. That's really what I'm all about. I need to make sure that the governor doesn't lose any of that power, even if it's a better way to do it. Because right now, and as it has been for years, boards of elections are 
uh, whatever party controls the governor's mansion controls the boards of election. Does that sound something that's, uh, I don't know, democracy-like? I mean, for the people who, you know, run around with the bullhorns screaming about what democracy looks like, you know, and they're going to show it to me, it seems really like not democracy right? It doesn't. It, it seems like something that, I don't know, an autocrat might do, something that a tyrant might do, right? That they get to control the, the people, the appointments of the bodies that count the votes and oversee the elections at, at the county level and the state level. Like, wouldn't you want that to be more of a professionalized kind of a thing? Wouldn't you want that to be more balanced from a partisan nature? And Democrats, like, you have to acknowledge, like, you know, Pat McCrory was the governor and he had control of this. And you might not be in the governor's mansion forever, right? I mean, I know it's it's rare that Republicans win the governor's mansion in this state. But, um, hey, you know, Mark Robinson, he might be uh, he might be the guy to do it next time. I don't know. We'll see. But I, I feel the need to point out that Cooper sued to keep control of the Board of Elections in all of this. Um, in the McClatchy or, uh, article, Senate Bill 360 would have prevented any state agency from setting certain lo- settling certain lawsuits without the approval of North Carolina's General Assembly. State agencies currently have the power to enter settlement agreements if they are sued. Right. And this is why the sue and settle strategy works. And this is why Democrats have been doing it at the federal level for a very long time because you install entrenched bureaucracy into these agencies and the people who are in there are of a political mind. As I went over the other day, they uh, like in North Carolina, the bureaucracy was staffed by Democrats. You could not get hired unless you were a Democrat in a lot of state agencies for over a century. And um, do you think that those people that issue, enter into settlement agreements, do you think that they're going to be, I don't know, a little bit more amenable to an argument brought by a Democrat-aligned group and uh, being represented by a Democrat super lawyer and your lawyer is also a Democrat that, oh, by the way, happens to have connections to that group too? I'm just, you know, again, try to see it. If you are of the left, try to see this as if it were Republicans doing this thing. Do you think you might have a problem with that? Right. I just, I throw it out there, just something to consider. Um, I mentioned this the other day. The whitest paint in the world. I, I don't know why I'm fascinated by this story. The whitest paint in the world. It's been created in a lab at Purdue University. It is a paint that is so white. That's where you're supposed to say, how white is it? Okay, it is so white, it's named Caitlin. No, I'm kidding. It's no, it's so white that the paint has now made it into the Guinness World Record Book as the whitest paint ever made. It is so white, it's now named Connor. No, I'm kidding. Um, It could eventually reduce or even eliminate the need for air conditioning. That's how white it is. Breaking a world record was not the goal. Curbing global warming was. Um, the uh, the professor of mechanical engineering at Purdue who did it, his name is Julin Ruan. 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 Anyway, uh, he says, when we started this project about seven years ago, we had saving energy and fighting climate change in mind. And the idea was to make a paint that would reflect sunlight 
away from a building, making this paint, the paint really reflective, also made it really, really white, which means it's about to be canceled at Purdue University. The paint reflects, I don't know, does that mean it's like, uh, okay, well, yeah. No, I probably shouldn't say it. Well, I was going to say, does that mean like it's going to be uh, like attention to detail oriented and uh, punctuality and like all of these, uh, like the culture of whiteness? Oh, that could be a name for it. That could be the name. (laughs) The paint reflects 98.1% of solar radiation while also emitting infrared heat because the paint absorbs less heat from the sun than it emits. So a surface coated with the paint is cooled below the surrounding temperature without consuming power. And they say if you put it on a thousand square feet roof area, it would result in a cooling power of 10 kilowatts, which is more powerful than air conditioners used by most homes. Like, that's pretty wild. If that's true, if I could paint my roof white and then I wouldn't have to run the AC, like, that's pretty cool. Stick around. Brett Winterbull's up next on News Talk 1110-993-WBT. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.